You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Cool. Uh, today, as Pastor Kevin already mentioned, is the last day of 2023. And I want to begin this morning by, by telling you that the most important thing that you have done when, with your life in 2023 is to magnify the glory of God. And the most important thing you could do with your life in 2024 is to magnify the glory of God because that's why we exist. That's why we're here. Our purpose, church, is to magnify the glory of God or we could say the worth of God. Magnify the glory of God, the worth of God. Another word for this is the word worship. We exist to be worshipers of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning in Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21. I just want to show you two things in these verses. This may be the shortest sermon I've ever preached, okay? All the parents or little kids said amen, right? Just two things I want to show you here, okay? The first is that worship is the goal. The second is that worship applies to all of life. Let's pray again. Our Father in heaven, we ask that now by your grace, please do more in our hearts over these next minutes than we could have expected when we came in here. Accomplish your will for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look again at verse 20. The first point here is worship is the goal. Now, verses 20 and 21 are the concluding uh, benediction and doxology of the book of Hebrews. The the writer here, he tells us his concluding prayer for us, and he directs all glory to God. Now, in most English translations, there are about 61 total words here in these two verses. And all of the words matter. But if we had to distill down these 61 words to the the, the main point of what the writer is saying, I think we could say it in seven words. Okay, here it is. The writer is saying, may God equip you to worship him. May God equip you to worship him. The subject is God, the object is us, and the main verb is that God is equipping us for a purpose. And that purpose or or the goal is to worship him. Now, how am I getting worship from verse 21? If you look at verse 21, and I hope you can, if you have a Bible or a phone or you need to look with your neighbor, look at verse 21 and and, and you'll see there that you don't see the word worship, right? So then how, how can I say here, that the goal is worship if the word worship is not mentioned. What all has to do with that word pleasing. The word pleasing there in verse 21. So if you can, try to find that word pleasing. If you'd like to underline or circle or highlight, that would be a good word to highlight in verse 21. In the second line there, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, a lot of times there are words in the New Testament that get their meaning from the Old Testament. 
And that's especially the case for this word pleasing here in Hebrews. The word pleasing is a Levitical word. We've heard this word a lot. It's a Levitical word that's used over and over again in the book of Leviticus in reference to the offerings and sacrifices that the people would make to God. If the offering or sacrifice was according to what God instructed, then it was said to be pleasing to God or acceptable to God. The, the original word could be translated either way, pleasing or acceptable. It means the same thing. The idea was that God is pleased with the worship. And that's a topic that is actually a theme in Scripture all throughout the Old Testament. There are two kinds of worship. We see this right away. There are two kinds of worship. There's true worship or there's false, empty, vain worship. And, and this distinction comes right away in Genesis chapter 4, starting with Cain and Abel. Both of these brothers we see in, in Genesis 4, both brothers bring an offering to God. But God was only pleased with Abel's offering, Genesis 4, 4. And Yahweh had a regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So there are two ways to go here. There's true worship that pleases God, or there's false worship, so-called worship, that God rejects. And of course, we want to be true worshipers. We want to worship God truly. We want our worship to be pleasing to God. And we know that this idea of worship, of pleasing worship, we know that this is in the writer's mind in Hebrews 13 because of the immediate context here. Now we're in verses 20 and 21, but look back just a little bit to verse 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Follow this with me. Okay, verse 15. Through him, Jesus, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The writer is talking about worship here. The word pleasing is in reference to these sacrifices, and these are new covenant sacrifices. In the new covenant, our sacrifices or, or our acts of worship, they don't involve animals. They're not tied to a, a, certain, a certain time or a certain place. But now our sacrifices, according to Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, our sacrifices include things like praise, verbal acknowledgement of God. They include things like love and generosity to others. That is new covenant worship that is pleasing to God. That's what the writer has been talking about in Hebrews chapter 13. But not just that, if we, if we turn back to chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 28, and, and this is just one page back, okay? In chapter 12, the writer has been describing for us the greater glory of the new covenant. And then he says, as a conclusion to the greater glory of the new covenant, chapter 12, verse 28, he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. And that word for acceptable is the exact same word translated as pleasing in chapter 13, verse 21. Pleasing worship. 
So then, this just means if we're just following with the context here, when we read the word pleasing in 1321, that God is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, we should think about worship. That's what's in the writer's mind. That's what the writer has been thinking about, worship. And therefore, I think a short summary of what the writer is saying in verses 20 and 21 is, may God equip you to worship him. That's the last thing that the writer of Hebrews wants to leave us with in this book, in this word of exhortation. And I think we should call this the big takeaway from the book of Hebrews. What else do we do with everything that we've seen in this book this year? We spent the whole year in the book of Hebrews. It's been amazing. What, what do we do? What, what is the ultimate difference that it should make in our lives that we have seen in this book that Jesus is better? that he is our great high priest, that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant, that we need to and we can endure in faith. What's the point of all of that? What difference should all of that make in our lives? Worship, worship. We, we want to magnify the glory and the worth of God. Worship is the goal. That's the first point. Now here's the second and last point. Worship applies to all of life. I want you to notice a parallel here in verse 21. Where he says there, God is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, which has to do with worship. We just established that. That sentence, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, it actually parallels and it explains the previous sentence when he says, may God equip you to do his will. Here's a way to paraphrase what he's saying here. The way to paraphrase that first part of 21 is to say, God equips you to do his will, which means God does in us what is pleasing to him. God equips you to do his will, which means God does in us what is pleasing to him. Our doing the will of God is the worship of God. Now, I know sometimes we can have a lot of questions when it comes to the topic of God's will, right? We, it can kind of stress us out a little bit when we think about the will of God. Like, what is the will of God? How do we know the will of God? How do we know if we're doing the will of God? I just want to say right here, the Bible is pretty straightforward and simple when it comes to the will of God. In verse 21... The will of God is restated as that which is pleasing to God. And as we've seen, the writer's thinking about worship here. So we worship God when we do God's will. And here is where I think we have to be really clear about what worship means. If worship is doing God's will, if worship is the goal, if worship is why we exist, then we should have some clarity about what worship is. Agree? What is worship then? Well, worship now, because of Jesus, because of the first Christmas, worship now is no longer restricted to a certain place, in a certain time, a certain act with all, all kinds of stipulations like we see in the Old Covenant. We already have seen in chapter 13 
in chapter 12 and chapter 13 that the writer of Hebrews calls praising God and doing good to others sacrifices. And the thing with praising God and doing good is that we can do those anywhere, right? Now, what we're doing in this room this morning, in this moment now, is we're, this is worship. This is worship. What we're doing as we gather here every Sunday morning is corporate worship. But I'd actually argue that the, the most unique thing that happens in this room every Sunday morning is actually not the worship. It's the, the mutual edification that takes place with our worship together. It's the fact that as we gather for worship together, we are building up one another. That, that's the one thing, the building up of each other through our worship together. That's the one thing that, that's happening right now that won't be happening tomorrow when we don't gather together. See, that, that's what makes it unique. But the worship, that continues. The worship's not confined to an hour and a half on Sundays. We come into this place every Sunday morning as worshipers of God, and we're commissioned out of this place every Sunday morning as worshipers of God. We are worshipers of God wherever we can do the will of God, which is everywhere and any time. See, worship applies to all of life. And so now practically, what does that mean? How does worship in all of life look? You probably heard that before. How does it look though? All of life worship, what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. It, it means, all of life worship means that we are radically centered on Jesus and we are Christ-like from the heart. Jesus is the one who changed the meaning of worship forever. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four? She brings up in this conversation, she brings up the topic of worship. And she knows there was a dispute about what is true worship. So she asked Jesus, she says, hey, where is the place of true worship? This mountain or in Jerusalem? And Jesus basically says to this woman, he says, it's not a place anymore. It's me. Now that Jesus has come, all true worship is focused on Jesus himself. He is both the way to God and he is the place where God's presence dwells. He is God's presence, Emmanuel, God with us. And we certainly see this in the book of Hebrews, don't we? Just think of the ways that Jesus, we see this in the book, just think of the ways in Hebrews that we see Jesus transform old covenant worship. All the pieces of old covenant worship are fulfilled in him. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. It's almost like Jesus himself becomes the entire old covenant worship service. It's all focused on Jesus. True worship is now radically centered on Jesus, but it's not just centered on Jesus. It also means that we become like Jesus in our true worship. Turn back to Hebrews 10 for a minute. A couple pages back, Hebrews chapter 10. This is the end of the sermon right here. We're landing the plane, okay? Hebrews chapter 10. I told you. Chapter 10, 
I think this passage just brings it all together, okay? Try to follow along with me here, starting in verse 4, okay? Hebrews 10, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time, Christ came into the world. When Christ came into the world, he said to God, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Now that word there, prepared, look at that word prepared there in verse 5. A body you have prepared for me. That's the exact same word that's translated as equip in chapter 13, verse 21. So God, in chapter 13, verse 21, God equips us to do his will. God equipped Jesus with a body. And Jesus, being equipped with a body, verse 7, then Jesus said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And now the writer, in verse 8, he's going to explain what this means. He says, when he said above, when Jesus said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. You see that? In other words, the writer is saying that the old way of worship is over. Old covenant worship has ended. The new way of worship is to do the will of God. Verse 10, look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So worship is centered on Jesus. You cannot worship God apart from Jesus. You can't. But also, worship now means that we become like Jesus, it means that we do what Jesus did. Jesus completely surrendered himself to the will of God. I, I have come to do your will, he said. Not my will, but yours be done, he said. Even with loud cries and tears in Gethsemane. Jesus completely surrendered himself to God, which means that the whole life of Jesus was a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And now for us, through, through Jesus, we do what Jesus did. We do the same thing. Through Jesus, like Jesus, we also surrender our lives to the will of God. See, there's no wonder that the apostle Paul says what he says in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
You know this verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12, 1. To be a living sacrifice is new covenant worship. That is our calling. That's what it means to worship God. Jesus was the ultimate living sacrifice. And we now in him become living sacrifices, completely surrendered to the will of God. There's a a South African pastor from the 1800s named Andrew Murray. And he wrote a few classic books. Some of you probably heard of a few of them. One is called Absolute Surrender. And my pastor, when I was growing up, uh, he, my pastor gave, this years, been years ago, 20 years ago, my pastor gave me a, uh, his copy of Murray's book, Absolute Surrender. I was at a place in my life where I was trying to discern the will of God for, for my life. And my pastor gave me a copy of this book. And I was thumbing through it this week and I found a place where Murray is talking about exactly what we're talking about here. Okay, so I have to read it to you. Listen to what Andrew Murray says. Murray says, Jesus gave up his life to God and he thereby taught us that the only thing that life is worth living for is to give it back to God even unto death. If you take your life and spend it on yourself, even partly, you are abusing it. You are taking it away from its noblest use. Oh, Christian, learn from Christ that the beauty of having life and will and body is that you can give it to God. And that then God will fill it with his glory. Oh, Christian, do you want a life of fellowship with God and of glory and power and joy even here upon the earth? Remember then that there is but one way to secure it. Give up your life to God. That is the one way. That is what Christ did. I know many of you, many of us, as we've been praying for our church in this new season, we have prayed for increased surrender. Deepened theology, increased surrender, multiplied joy. Well, as we pray for increased surrender, this is what we mean. Increased surrender is a life of all-consuming worship. Increased surrender means that we are a living sacrifice. Not just for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but you're a living sacrifice over lunch this afternoon. And when you're putting your kids to bed tonight, and when you step into the office on Tuesday, and when you think about hard challenges that you have in front of you, You're a living sacrifice when you do good work, not half-hearted work, but when you do excellent work as unto God, not 
unto man. You're a living sacrifice when you show kindness to the people around you and when you speak words of grace and life to others and when you wake up early in the morning to meditate on the word of God and to pray. You're a living sacrifice when you do the uncomfortable thing for a purpose bigger than comfort. And when you steward your body well, and when you are generous with your time and your resources, and when you endure in faith, even as you are surrounded by the whirlwind of suffering, you are a living sacrifice when you testify of a joy down deep in your soul. Even though the fig tree may not blossom, even though the cancer may not go away. When you are a living sacrifice, when you are surrendered to God like Jesus, through Jesus, it means simply that you belong to God. It means that every part of us, all that we have, it all belongs to God. And we want to magnify his glory and his worth in everything. That's why we exist, church. The most important thing that we've done in 2023 is this. The most important thing that we can do in 2024 is this. To be a living sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, together now we ask that you would make us to be as individuals, as men and women and boys and girls, as individuals, but also as an entire church. Father, we ask, make us to be a living sacrifice. Overcome us with the joy of being yours and through us. Please magnify your glory in these Twin Cities. Father, be pleased, be pleased with our lives of worship through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, now we come to the table and, and we come to this table each week to adore Jesus. We come here to give him thanks. The bread represents the body of Jesus and the cup represents the blood of Jesus. And when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we worship Jesus for his sacrifice. And therefore, this is a meal, of course, which is for those who trust in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you do not yet trust in Jesus, I pray that you would take this time as a moment, as an invitation to believe on Christ and be saved. If you're here this morning and you do trust in Jesus, if you are united to Jesus by faith, we invite you to eat and to drink with us. We'll serve the bread first. I'll come back up. We'll eat it all together. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.